All right, well, we're going to talk about hypocrisy in just a moment. Uh, before we do, I've got a couple of uh, items, kind of family business. If you're visiting with us, we don't normally, we don't normally do this, but we've got a couple of things to talk about. Actually, it's, a quite, uh, it's really an exciting time to, uh, to think about here at The Journey. Uh, we haven't had some stuff like this to talk about in a while, and so we've got a building campaign, and we've got a potential staff member that we're, we're considering. So I'm going to invite you all into both of those things just briefly. Uh, if you remember, uh, if you are a member, you should have got an email this week talking about uh, the, the staff uh, the associate pastor candidate, um, and part of that was uh, the plan to, for him to teach tonight and students and for you, particularly students and parents, to come and hang, meet him and his wife uh, during that time. It's the second time he's taught back there, but uh, that has to be po- postponed until next week. That, their family is being ravaged by the stomach bug. Uh, he texted me last night at number four. He just went down out of six of them. He was still standing, but didn't think he would be tonight and didn't want to share it if he was, and so uh, we're going to push that back to next week. Uh, Chad will be here this, well, he'll be here Sunday morning next week. We'll introduce him uh, in, in this space just briefly. We'll invite him and his wife to hang after church and, and meet some of you guys. And then they will, he will teach next week, uh, Lord willing, and stomach bug being done uh, in, in, uh, in students next Sunday night. So uh, you could still uh, watch your email. We're going to send out a video interview this week. As soon as he's well enough for me to get close to him, we'll do some, some more conversation and let you get uh, just a little bit more in-depth look at at him, his story, and, and what the potential role could look like here. And here's what I want to say. I, I know there was a little bit of confusion even with the email. This is a process. So we as elders are quite excited about the potential of what the Lord's doing here. We sense the Lord working in this, and we are excited about this uh, potential staff member. However, we've done our due diligence, but now it's time to engage you all, and we really do want to engage you all. So we, even though we're not a voting church, we want to engage you all in, uh, in this process. So we want to invite you to meet. We want to invite you to ask your questions. Uh, we'd rather hear about it now, right? <laughs> Nothing's worse as a, as a, a leadership team as we, we hire somebody and then somebody's like, oh, I told you, I knew that would be a problem. I'm like, well, then no, you didn't tell us. Like, you know, please tell us now. That's what we're inviting you to. So ask your questions, be honest. Um, we we want to we wanna be uh, transparent with that, but um, we want to, you know, let the Lord work in this. We're excited about what the next few weeks can look like as we work through that process. So a lot of that's going to happen next Sunday. We'll take our time a little bit since we didn't get to do this Sunday and next. But anyway, so that's all forthcoming. The big idea there is watch your email. We'll keep sending out some information on that. And the same is true of the next deal. So we are, um, we are growing up as a church. If you have been around us a while, and if you haven't, this is a little bit of our story. I won't get into the details, but um, we're, we're, we'll be 10 years old this October as a church as far as when we've been gathering. Um, we were planted by the Journey, uh, you know, group of churches. So most of them are in the St. Louis metro area. Uh, we are the, you know, the one that was kind of down and removed. Uh, four years ago, they sent us out as autonomous, uh, you know, Journey Church. So we are no longer, you know, organizationally and, and legally tied to them. However, we're still on good terms. And so they've sent us out as an autonomous church. However, they still own our building. And so, uh, man, the Lord has been really generous uh, and really good to provide for us. And, and they have really been generous and, and good to provide for us and allow us to launch out on a good foot. So what we've entered into a little over three years ago was a lease to purchase agreement, a lease to purchase agreement with them. So we've been paying them lease, but basically they've been setting that money aside for us. And as long as we buy it, at the end of the four years, that money becomes our down payment. So what that really translates to is they've been floating our mortgage for us for, for four years, which is really generous and kind and allowing us to save. So this year, that four years comes up uh, to a close, and we're looking to purchase this property. So it is a building uh, setting on, I think, 17 acres here, this property, and we are looking forward to, to pulling the trigger on that. We're in a good spot. 
we will have enough money to, to get a down payment and we're consulting with banks. We feel like we're in a good place to, to make that purchase. However, we want to start looking ahead at the future because just buying this building, if you, I don't know if you noticed, it's an old pole building. And um, it's been great. It's served us well and it continues to serve us well. However, we know that the clock is ticking on its lifespan. And so we, we don't want to just buy a building um, and, you know, have a mortgage with that in mind. We want to be looking ahead to the future. So we want to jumpstart our future by investing in this purchase and come in not with just a minimum of down payment, but as, as much as we can to keep our mortgage as low as we can so that we can start looking in the next five to eight years at um, building a new building out, you know, in that direction. And so there's more to come on that. We don't have, I don't have a picture of what our building's going to look like. I don't, we don't have any of that there. We're just trying to be good stewards and make a good plan. And, and, and if you know me, if you're new and you're visiting, you're like, man, I knew church was about money. Please ask the person next to you. We do not talk about this stuff, okay? I, I, I think I've earned that. We just don't. I hate the idea of church feeling, A, like they're after your money, or B, gimmicky. So I'm just committing to not doing that, okay? We're not, we don't have cool slogans. I don't have a pledge card for you, okay? But at the same time, We've committed to just being an honest family and laying forward our plan and inviting, you know, God to work in and amongst us and, and allow him to provide through that. And so that's what we want to do. We want to get the information out to you and invite you into um, giving toward this. So we've got a goal of $100,000 in 10 months, okay? So by the end of 2022, we'd like to raise an additional $100,000 that will put, you, put us in a much better place to come in with minimal debt so that we could start looking at the future. So we're inviting you to consider, hey, what can I give above and beyond my regular tithes and offerings? It doesn't do us any good if you just go, okay, well, I'll just take what I normally give and put it in the building campaign. Well, you're just going to handicap us elsewhere. It's not real productive. So this is an above and beyond consideration. And you might be like, listen, you're barking up the wrong tree, bro. I don't have that kind of money, right? I don't have $100,000. Like you, you're, you're, you've misread your audience. I get it. It's a big number. But honestly, you start spreading it around this room, it's actually not that big, okay? So we'll be talking in the next few weeks. How, you know, where can I find margin? Again, we're, we're just going to put this out for y'all. You can contribute how the Lord leads you. But honestly, every small gift helps. And if you start looking, okay, where's their margin in my life? If you eat out regularly, okay, if you don't do that twice a week, say that's an average $10 meal twice a week, 20 bucks a week, times 45 weeks that we got left in the year, you could be looking at 900 bucks that you can contribute just by making that small sacrifice. I don't know you. I don't know how many times I see your car at Starbucks, but consider that $5 coffee and how, that, how far that could go. Just saying things like that. Somebody said, uh, listen, if I just went through like my subscriptions of news things and things that I, that I subscribe to that I really don't read, but it's just like four, five, six bucks here or there, you, things you forget about. If you, if you move through those, you might find 30 bucks. Some of y'all have gym memberships that you have never, I'm not telling you not to be healthy, but I'm just saying. You talk to gym owners, and there's a large portion of y'all that are paying but don't show up. So maybe consider rolling that over here. I'm just saying, we're all going to look at our lives. We're, we're inviting you to look at your lives with us and see, okay, where's their margin? Where can we contribute above and beyond? Uh, and it's tax season, so do with that what you will, okay? Just you, you lay that before the Lord. Let him handle your business, okay? Uh, again, please give me the grace if this is your first week. And no, we do not do this regularly, okay? We're just trying to be honest as a family. And so um, I, I, y'all know me. I just don't even like talking about... I don't even like talking about money. The Bible's going to make me in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about generosity, but it's important. And, and we say it every week, right? When we talk about giving, that God's done after your money. He's after your heart, okay? And we want to keep that in mind. That's true. Like, we're just going to trust the Lord. 
but we believe he's called us to a mission here to love God, connect people, transform the world. We, we've seen him at work, and we believe that he is not done with this work, and so we want to be looking ahead and jumpstart our future, uh, which includes a building. So uh, consider that. Ask any questions you want, okay? So we're just starting this. It's just a quick spiel. Watch your email. We'll send some details out this week with purchase, you know, um, figures and numbers and, and some more details for you guys, particularly members. Uh, but you can ask any question you want, okay? We're not, we don't want to be weird with any of this, so, uh, but we want to invite you into it, okay? So that's my quick spiel. Just lay it before you. Uh, I'm going to pray now for that building campaign. Um, I don't want to be hokey, but we wanna also want to invite the Lord to provide for us in this. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk about hypocrisy, okay? God, uh, as we enter into this exciting season as a church, uh, purchasing our property to own, uh, to do your work in, Lord, we give you thanks for your provision in the past. We give you thanks for the vision of, that you gave to Pastor Darren so many years ago to plant the Journey Church, for the, for the fruit that has come from that, for the churches that have been birthed from that, and the way that they have treated us with generosity to, to see us start out on solid footing. We give you praise for all of that. And Lord, as we go forward, let us not forget where our help has come from. Let us not forget that you have been our provider, and we ask you now, to provide. We ask you to use us, to lay our, uh, to, to guide us, to lay ourselves before you and invite you into the conversation of how you want us to participate in this new season um, of contribution for our church and for ultimately for your kingdom. So we invite you in, Lord. We ask for your provision. We ask for your guidance, and we thank you for your blessing. And we say all these things, Lord, as we come to your word now, we invite you in. We invite you to speak. Make us, make our hearts soft so that we could hear and receive. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6. How many of y'all remember the first time you encountered a hypocrite? Like, honestly, you remember that? Some of you, maybe you didn't grow up in church, and, and that maybe kept you from church for a long time, right? That's part of your story. I don't want to go to church because what? They're hypocrites, because you've seen them, like, and, and honestly, that's kind of a big part of, of, like, that's kind of a thing that we have to reckon with, not only as individuals, that there are hip hypocrites among us and those that wear the name of Christian, but also from a macro level and historical level, we, we've got to understand that there's been some damage done by people who claim to be Christians that have done some really evil things, that, that use the Bible even to justify things like owning slaves and crusades and, and, you know, KKK. I mean, there's just been some really wicked things that have happened under the banner of Christianity that, that just scream some really gross and awful hypocrisy. And so, man, but here's the good news. As much as that causes us to have this visceral reaction and we get angry, guess what? Jesus even more so, Okay. Jesus is even more angry about that kind of hypocrisy using his name for evil than we could ever imagine, okay? Maybe you know the story of Jesus making a whip, right, and then running people out of the temple, flipping over tables. That was in response to hypocrisy, okay? So Jesus is with you in that visceral, like, oh, yeah, I hate that, okay? And the good news is he is inviting us to something beyond that. And so we're going to look at hypocrisy today. I remember the first time I encountered a hypocrite, there was this guy who, much like our text, uh, talking about praying. Uh, how many of y'all grew up in a church where they would, they would call on people to close in prayer or open or like, we're going to start doing that. Okay, I'm just kidding. I knew a guy that like visited a church with his girlfriend, his first day ever there, and they called on him to close in prayer. I was like, man, <laughs> you probably never went back. Anyway, but like, 
I grew up in a church like that, and there was this one dude, and they would call on him. Oh, and I was just like, settle in, right? Because this guy was going to pray for a long time. And he's going to say a bunch of words that I didn't understand as a kid. Whew, and I was just like, oh, I don't even know what he's doing over there. Like, he's just in his, like, it was, it was, like, seriously, you're settling in for five to seven minutes of prayer from this guy. And, and okay, so I thought that as a kid. I knew this about him. Well, it wasn't until I started working for his neighbor on a cattle farm. Um, and I didn't, I actually didn't know, but I saw him drive by and I was like, oh, there's brother so-and-so. And, and she's like, well, how do you know him? I was like, I go to church with him. And she was like, oh, well, he's a jerk. I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, you know, maybe he just, you know, had a bad day. He's like, no, no, no. Everybody around here knows he's a jerk. Like, he's the neighborhood jerk. Like, like for real. Held people at gunpoint on his property. Jerk. Like, he's, he's, he's got some issues. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. And that was the first time I was like, oh, this guy has these eloquent, long prayers, these really righteous portrayals of, of who he is in church. And then it, 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 it didn't add up. Right? And that's, that's really what, you know, hypocrite itself in the Greek um, it actually just means actor or one who wears a mask, a play actor. Like that, that's the idea that that, the origin, that, that language there is, is somebody who's wearing a mask, who's, who's an actor, right? And, and, you know, more practically, we just know it as somebody who claims to believe something, but their life doesn't back it up, right? Their life doesn't align with what they claim to believe. And so Jesus is going to call, he's going to get like, man, he's been all up in our business, hasn't he? Somebody was like, man, the last few weeks have been rough. Like we talk about lust, we talk about marriage, we talk about anger. Like it's, it, Jesus has been up in our stuff. And now he's going to get even deeper into the motive. He, so we've said often in the series, Jesus doesn't just care about what you do. He cares about why you do it. And that's actually good news. It sounds like it's one more thing, like he's just cranking down the, the screws, you know, just a little bit tighter, so you got to worry about your motive too, but he, it's actually good news, because Jesus doesn't want a false front. He doesn't want you to just act like you're a Christian. He doesn't want you to just put on some external, you know, behavior modification stuff. He, he's inviting you to internal transformation from the inside out. So it's good news. It's good news. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6 together, and Jesus is going to start He's transitioned. This is Sermon on the Mount, right? He's talked about his Beatitudes. He's gone through the, you have heard, but I'm here to tell you, right? He's talked about murder. It's not just murder and it's anger. It's not just adultery. It's lust. It's not just divorce, but it's, okay, we got to dive in deep. And why do you even want to get divorced? Like, we got to stay married and all of this stuff. He's just been right up in our business, loving your enemies, right? Don't just love the people who love you. You got to love your enemies. And now he's going to shift right into our religious activities, our spiritual disciplines, how we do life as a Christian, it matters, and it matters not just that we do it, but how we do it. So he's going to start with saying, beware. This is a caution. He's going to say, beware of what? Practicing, this is Matthew 6, 1, practicing your righteousness before other people in order to what? Be seen by them. For then you will have what? No reward from your father who is in heaven. Now, what is he talking about here? Because I, I don't know if you remember, but just a few verses back, he called us to be the salt and the light. And he told us to, uh, in verse 16 of Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that may, they, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And now he's telling us, hey, when you're doing good works, make sure you're hiding them so people don't see him. What in the world is he talking about here? What, what, what is this contrast here? Well, it's important to know Jesus is addressing two different sins. In the first one, he's, he's addressing cowardice. He's addressing this feeling of like, okay, I don't want to put myself out there for Jesus' namesake because what it may cost me. 
right? And Jesus says, no, no, in that case, put your, like, put your Christianity out there. Tell people about the gospel. Make sure they know what you believe so that they can hear about the gospel. Don't hide it. Don't light a lamp and then put it under a bushel. No, no, we'll be a city on a hill. We are to be a city on a hill so that people could see the glory. But now he's going to say, well, but when you're practicing religious stuff, like make sure you're, well, okay. So that one he's, he's addressing cowardice. This one, he's addressing vanity. He's addressing this idea that, that we will use religious activity to actually make people think better of us or a certain way of us. This is super common, especially in a religious culture like ours. I don't know if y'all know, but this is Bible Belt. Anybody ever lived in an urban area or a different area of the world? It's just a different deal. Like people don't care that much about church. Not everybody grew up in church. Not everybody has a grandma Sally that went to first, second, or third Baptist and they took them to Bible school. Like it's just different. And so there's less pretending. There's also probably less faith per capita, but there's less pretending. And in some ways it's refreshing. I remember living in St. Louis and people just didn't have the same pretenses that they do here. It's just different. But in a religious environment like ours, it, it, it is tempting to use religious activity to make people think a certain way of you. And Jesus is going to say, hey, beware when you're doing that. Beware. Check your heart when you're doing that. Okay, real quick, as just kind of a, 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 a short summary, and I just think a really succinct way to sum up this uh, this whole, this teaching right here, um, as a guy named A.B. Bruce said it this way in his commentary, he said, um, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. Show your good works when you're tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. You see what he's getting at there? He says, when you're tempted to hide and pull back, that's when you need to actually step out and let the Lord shine through you. When you're tempted to show, right, when you're proud of it, right, when you're tempted to post and, and make sure everybody saw that you read your Bible that day. Well, you know, we'll get into some of that in a minute, but when you're tempted to show, that's probably when you need to go ahead and hide it. That's when you need to go ahead and hide. And both of those should have the same motivation. Okay? Both of those movements and disciplines should have the same motivation, and that is to bring glory to God. Okay? When you want to hide and Jesus is calling you to step out and show, that's so that people could see the glory of God. When you are tempted to show yourself and, and, and make sure people believe a certain way about you, you need to hide. That way, they don't think a certain way about you, but rather they're able to see the glory of God, right? Proverbs are very clear. Let, let someone else praise you. Let someone else see your good works. But but doesn't mean you parade it out in front of them just so that they can. It gets really messy when we start getting down to the weeds of our motivations and why we do things, doesn't it? And Jesus is not scared to go exactly there. So what he's saying is, it's not just what you do, but why you do it that matters. Motive matters. When you're giving, when you're praying, when you're fasting, those are all good things. In fact, Jesus is going to say, not if you choose to do those things, but when. Okay, so these are good things and right things that you should be doing as followers of Jesus, but it's not just that you do them, it's also why you do them that Jesus is going to look at. So motive matters. Well, how do you get at motive? It's a little harder to identify, isn't it? It's a little harder to, to get in there and, and, and move around. So the text actually gives us some insight in that. So we'll keep moving here. Jesus says, uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He's going to say the same thing about prayer in just a minute. So he's talking about giving there. In verse 5, he's going to talk about praying. He says, when you pray, don't, don't, don't be like the hypocrites, for, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. 
I tell you, they've received their reward. He's going to say the same thing about fasting in verse 16. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they, they've, they've received their reward. You see what Jesus is going to be inviting us. He's going to have this rhythm, and it's going to go on down and, and talk about um, who really sees in just a moment. But at the very beginning there, he's saying, beware of doing this so that you can be seen. What he's saying here is audience matters. Audience matters. Why are you doing these things? I want you to look at the rhythm. Okay, so we just looked at, at these, in, like don't give so that people can see the way that you would give, right? Don't pray in such a way that you make sure everybody can see you, right? There, there, there was a public uh, nature to their prayer, right? Synagogue, street corners, that kind of thing. But, but and Jesus is saying, it's not wrong to pray in public. That's not what he's saying. But to, to raise your hands and to use the big long words and make sure that everybody knows, right? You're kind of, you're doing this deal. You're kind of looking, oh, did they see me? Oh yeah, and oh Lord, and you're just so holier than now and you're making this big show of it. Jesus is saying, don't, don't, don't do that, right? It's not wrong to ask. In fact, it's a good thing to ask a blessing over your meal when you're eating in public, right? You don't want to make this big scene about it, right? You don't want to make sure everybody sees you Humbly, quietly, give thanks to God, right? When you're giving, when, you, when you're helping somebody in need, absolutely, you should do that. Absolutely. Jesus called us earlier to be merciful. His people have been shown a great mercy. Amen? You know that, right? You know you deserve hell? If, if, you, if you're new and you're like, well, I didn't. Before you get the good news, you got to know the bad. We deserve hell because we're sinners. He's shown us a great mercy by not giving us what we deserve and instead giving us love and healing and forgiveness. So as a people who have been shown great mercy, we are to be a people who show great mercy. So we should be people that help those in need. We should be. We should be a place where people can come and get their help. And I know it gets messy, right? Motivate, you know, what are they really going to do with it? And do they really want help or they just want to hand out? I know all those things. I deal with them regularly. These people walk into our space because we're a church. People will leave the hospital and come down here and ask us for help, or people will just pull over off the interstate. They've Googled church, and they will find us, and, and they're confused. Is this really a church? It looks like a pole building. I say, yeah, 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 it is. Come on. Uh, but they will come in, and they will ask us for help. And we try to navigate that as much as we can, but we try to help, right? Now, we don't want to just, we never give cash, right? We, we've got, we got a, we got a system, we want to hear their story and, and really help them if possible beyond just band-aiding a problem. But I get it. It's messy. But we should be a people who are merciful with our money, with our resources. But to do it in such a way that everybody sees it, that gets wonky, doesn't it? Jesus says, don't, don't do that, right? Who is watching matters. So let, let's go on through uh, the next part of, of these passages. So he's going to be looking at the same point, really, through three different um, disciplines or religious practices that we should do. Okay? Same point, same idea, just with three different things. So in verse 2, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. Right? So don't make sure everybody's watching. No, instead, like, they do that so that they can be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Same thing with prayer. 
into verse 6, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Same thing, verse 18, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is, is, is taking the time. You think about it, he's verbally delivering this message, and he is making the point to have this contrast. They do it so that they could be seen by other people. And when they are seen, they, they get their reward. They get noticed. They, okay, I feel good. They, 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 that's it. But he's saying, that's it. That's as far as it goes. We'll talk more about reward in a minute. But he's saying, we should do it in such a way that we are looking at the audience of one, the one who, who sees what? In, in secret. And you notice here, he, the idea of, of doing it so that men will see and notice isn't even a sure thing. They might not even see. Some of y'all know that. You made a Facebook post and you're really hoping everybody noticed how awesome you were and then it just, nobody liked it, right? It's awkward. It's not even a guarantee that they'll see, but it says, so that's, a, that's an if, but in every one of those rhythms, it says, and your father who sees. It's not a question of if, it, it's him who sees in secret, he will reward you. Over and over, three times that is repeated, there's this rhythm. So what is he saying? The, the, the audience of, of why you're doing it or who you're hoping to see it, that matters. If you're doing it to be seen, you have the wrong motives and you're gonna get a minimal reward. But if you're doing it, not to be seen, but rather because it's what God has called you to do and who he's made you to be, then your father will see that and he actually will reward you. Okay, so the idea is this. It, if God is your only audience, would you still do it? That's the question. If the only one who sees it is God, will you still do it? John Calvin says that this reference to the right hand and the left is, is really boiling down to this, that Jesus is saying that we should be satisfied with God being our only witness. That we should be satisfied with God being our only witness. So it's a good thing to give to the poor. It's a good thing to help somebody in need. But if you're only gonna do it, if it gets you noticed, you have the wrong motive. It's not just about giving, right? We can go further with this. It, it's a good thing to serve vulnerable children. It's a good thing to serve in the community, right? Serve on boards, pick up trash, adopt kids, foster. All of those, those are good and right things. But if the motive behind with, with which you're doing it is to get noticed and so that people will, you know, make you feel good or, or you, you, you know, you'll be seen as this really righteous person, then, then Jesus is saying, okay, that's empty and you're not actually serving me, you're serving yourself. Okay, so if, if the Lord is the only one who sees it, will you, will you still do it? But the good news is that he's actually a better witness, isn't he? Because I said, all those others, it, it, maybe they'll notice it, and maybe you'll feel good for a minute, but you know what? They're gonna go on to the next thing on their Facebook feed. You're not that big a deal to them. That high, that dopamine hit from getting likes, it's gonna fade, right? That high from people saying, oh, bless your heart, it's so good that you did that, that, that it's going to fade, but the better reward, he says, is from the Father who will see it. He's a better witness. He always sees. Jesus, like, okay, so he's going to start getting into this idea of reward because he, he, he knows that we're doing it to be seen. Okay, so Jesus doesn't shy away from that. He actually knows that we're doing it to be seen, that we have this motivation in us to be noticed, to be seen, and to receive a reward, that that's behind all of our actions. He doesn't pull that punch, but rather he calls us to simply uh, make sure that the one that we're wanting to see it is him and not other people. And it's a really, really, really big deal that we get this right. Because otherwise, 
we're going to miss out on salvation, period. This is not just a tertiary matter of like, okay, you know, become a Christian, and that's the really important thing is that you pray this prayer, and you come to church and join a church role. That's the really important thing, but if you can get this whole motivation thing down, that's just icing on the cake. No, Jesus says if we don't get this motivation thing down, if we don't check our, our, our fear of man issues, if we're doing it for other people, then we're in danger of hell. We're in danger of missing the whole boat of salvation. That's a, I said that weird. I've been listening to a Canadian pastor lately. I said, boat about loot. Sorry. We're in danger of losing our salvation. Or, or, or rather, let me say, you're, you're in danger of, of missing out, losing out on salvation. Once you've been saved, you ain't losing that message. Jesus got a hold of you. Okay, I want to be clear on that. Jesus got a hold of you if you are his. But if, if you've got into this thing, just being a religious person, hoping that it will, it will up your reputation and you'll feel better about yourself, then you are in danger of missing the whole gospel that Jesus offers us. Look, look with me, uh, it'll have it on the screen. John 5, uh, verse 44, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, the most religious people. These guys had, had uh, like books of the Bible memorized. And he tells them in, in verse 39 that you search and search the scriptures thinking that in them you'll find life, but you fail to realize that they are there to bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, you're not going to find hope and fulfillment and life transformation in religious duty. If they don't lead you to Jesus, you're missing the whole deal. But he says this in verse 44 of John chapter 5. How can you believe when you receive glory? So this is not like, how can you do better and get more rewards in heaven? He's saying, how can you believe? Okay, so this is a foundational issue you need to ask yourself. Why do I call myself a Christian? Did I do it because it was just a thing to do? Because it's what my family did and what I was expected to do? Or has my heart been gripped, my life been changed by Jesus? Because he says, if you're worried about other people, fear of man, you know the proverb, right? The, the, the psalm and proverb says, you know, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. This is where it starts. Like if, if we're not looking at God first as, our, as what are we afraid of, what are we worried about being defined by? Then we're in danger of missing the whole good news of the gospel. Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, right there, he's getting to the heart of our motives. Why do you do what you do? Why are you religious? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you give? Why do you pray? Why do you fast? Why do you, why do you serve? If you're doing it to receive glory from one another, you're missing out on the real reward. You're missing out on God being the one who rewards you. And, and so that whole idea of reward actually matters. So motive matters, the audience matters, and reward actually matters. Now, this is, this is a little bit weird for us to try to get our minds around sometimes, but it is really clear that each time in here, there is a warning about who is watching, and there is also a mention of reward. And it's not to make you feel shameful about that. Jesus knows, like, this is not a, a slap your hand away. Like, no, he's inviting us to something here. But it, it gets weird for us. The nature of reward is kind of hard to wrap our minds around as Christians, right? Um, it, and, it, and it can feel disingenuous to even, like, talk about doing something so that we can seek a reward from God. Like, and depending on where you were raised that, in the type of church and theology, it's, it's, a little, it's, it's a little hard to wrap our minds around. But this is actually so core to the whole of our faith and the good news of the gospel. This idea of reward, because here's the deal. When we just reduce the gospel down to this, to a negative, then we're missing the gospel. 
What do I mean by that? When we reduce the gospel down to, hey, do you want to go to hell when you die? You know, everybody's going to die. And, you, and when you die, you're going to go to either heaven or hell. Do you think you should go to heaven? And, and we ask, well, well I, sh I probably should go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. Well, you, are you really a good person? We start listing, listing off the Ten Commandments. Have you lied? Have you stole? Have you, have you ever lusted? Okay, well, you're actually not a good person. You're on your way to hell. You don't want to go to hell, do you? No. Well, here, pray this prayer. All right. I mean, I guess I would. Like, and again, those are, everything I just said is true, by the way. Okay? But when we reduce the gospel down to this negative, saying, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Okay, well, here, pray this prayer, and you can have this ticket to heaven. You trust Jesus. We use that language. What does that mean? Well, okay, you're not supposed to cuss anymore, right? Don't, don't smoke, don't drink, don't, don't have premarital sex, don't, don't watch rated R movies. And yeah, you should probably go to church and give him some of your money. What is that? That's all the negative, like this, this, we've made the gospel a negative thing. You don't want this bad result, so do these things, give up these things, and you'll get a good result, right? When we, when we reduce it down to that, then this idea of teaching on hypocrisy is just another added weight, right? He's like, yeah, you got to do some things, but it's not just that you do some things, but it's why you do the things. You got to check your heart. You got to check your motive. And it can just feel like it's this one more weight being put on us, right? But here's the deal. Not only is it like Jesus is not inviting us to this added burden. How many of y'all could feel, you'll, you'll hear a sermon like this and it feels like a, I got to do better kind of thing. How many of you are inclined to think that way? Hey, I got to do better. I know, I, I, every time I give, I really, it's really selfish. And uh, you, you can just feel like Jesus is adding on to you. But that's actually not the invitation of the gospel. That says something about your heart. If you feel like this is just another weight on your burden that you've got to carry because you've not been doing it enough, then you're missing the point of the gospel. And Jesus is actually inviting you to something different. I don't know if you remember, I, I, I kind of quoted at the beginning, but Jesus invites those of us who are weighed down with heavy burdens, who are broken down and tired beat up by life, he says what? Come, come to me. Does he say, come to me, I'll put some more weight in your cart? Come to me, I'll show you how to really be a good person. Right? You just walk away, like crushed. No, what's he say? Come to me, and I'll give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you life. He says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. That, that idea of yoke is what you put on an ox in, in order to pull, right? The religious world puts a heavy yoke on us. It crushes us beneath the weight of do this, act like this, be this. It's crushing, and it never leads to life. Jesus says, no, no, give me all that. Here, here here's rest. Here's an easy burden. Here's a, here's a light yoke. So, what am I getting at here? Well, this idea of rewards, Jesus is reminding us that the invite to the gospel is not to do away with our desires. It's not just to squash them and to stop wanting things and to stop feeling things. No, no, our desires are not a bad thing. God has put those desires in us for a reason, but when we realize, as C.S. Lewis says, that nothing on this earth satisfies those desires, the, 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 the next logical conclusion should be, oh, I must be made for something beyond this earth. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to, not to stop being a person who wants things, but rather to redirect where we're directing that want to, to redirect where we're asking for that validation, to redirect where we're getting our life. We, we quote John Piper here a lot, and he's famous for making the idea of Christian hedonism famous. 
That sounds like a non-church word to some of y'all. You're like, whoa, I don't know what you're talking about being hedonist. Sounds filthy. But the idea of hedonist is just seeking happiness, right? Seeking, seeking to be fulfilled. Like you, have to, like you have desires and you go after them. He's saying, that's the whole invitation of the Bible is to come after God for those desires. It's to reorder your loves and the things that you're pursuing most fundamentally toward God, and then the other things fall into place and have their rightful place of marriage and relationships and these different things, right? And so he's saying, come to me, and I'll give you life. Come to me. I'll give you, I'll give you rest. I'll give you life. Like, that idea of happiness and joy and, and desire is not wrong. It needs to be redeemed in Jesus. This is at the heart of the issue that Jesus is talking about here. Um, it's going to get even more detailed in a couple of weeks when we talk about money, but the, the idea of what are we pursuing with our life, this idea of reward that Jesus is very clear saying, if, if you're just wanting recognition from other people and you go out and make sure that everybody sees you whenever you're praying or sees you whenever you're, you're, you're giving, okay, well, you're probably going to get that. People will notice, but that's it. That's the end of your reward. You don't do that and think that you're, you're in good graces with God. God's not going to reward you for that. You're not serving him. You're serving yourself. But he doesn't just say, don't do it for a reward. You should just do it. He's saying, no, no, come get the best reward. Come get the good reward. The best reward is from the Father who sees in secret and will reward us. So this idea of rewards is, is, is a little murky in the scripture. It's not real clear, and it leads to some theology. Like People just really don't know how to talk about, okay, what does it mean that we're going to get rewards in heaven, right? Crown, you know, crowns in your, or jewels in your crown and Treasures in heaven. I mean, it's, it's, we know about it, but like, what does that mean? Like, you're going to have more than me? Am I going to be jealous of you? That doesn't sound like heaven, right? Like, how does this all, how does this work out? Like, what is that about? And I think we talked about this in depth when we preached through 1 Corinthians, but, but Jesus gives us some hints even here, because uh, while we don't know all the details, um, this text actually is pointing us to something. He says, with each one of these things, these act, this act of mercy, uh, of, of praying, right? Giving praying and fasting, Jesus mentions a reward tied to each one of them. And the reward is that God would see and then he rewards. So what is this reward like? You need to think about this. How many of y'all, when you think about rewards, you think about like a reward ceremony in your school, right? Where everybody's gathered around and they call up a few people and best attendant. How many of y'all, that was your jam? You're not going to get the grades or the sports, but like you were there every day. Perfect attendance deal. Right, these award ceremonies where you come up front and you get, get something that doesn't make sense for what you just did. It's kind of detached. It's like, all right, cool. Thanks for the cheap medal on an ugly ribbon. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, right? Or a certificate. I used to give out gift cards, like free pizza. Pizza used to be all up in my school. You could read a book and get a pizza. You know, show up for school, you get some pizza. I don't even think they do. Like, that, that was decent, right? But it still feels disconnected. Like, I didn't read the book to get pizza. That, that's weird. And, and this whole idea of, of rewards gets a little wonky. C.S. Lewis helps us with this in his, uh, his essay, The Weight of Glory. And, he, and he, he flushes it out this way. He says there's actually different rewards, different types of rewards. And he explains that there's a type of reward that seems to have no natural connection to the things that you did to earn it. And it's actually quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany that activity. Okay, so he gives a couple examples. He says, money is not the natural reward of love. Okay? So that's why when somebody marries for money, we call them a mercenary or a gold digger in our modern vernacular. 
right? Why? Because money's not the natural reward for, for, for love, right? But, but here's the deal. Marriage is the proper reward for love, right? And the person who desires that is not a mercenary, right? That's the right reward for love is to, to enjoy marriage. Similarly, the, a silver cup, a weird metal thing, it, it's not... It's not a natural reward for a hardworking student who's worked to make a, get a great GPA. But you know what is? A scholarship to a nice university. Right? See, that makes more sense, right? I'm working academically to earn these things, and I don't want a little, little weird trophy that's going to collect dust in my house in 15, 20 years or be in a dumpster. What I, I want a culmination of that, Right? A scholarship or a job or right like those sorts of things. So proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity with which they are given, right? But rather are they a consummation of the activity itself. Okay, so the proper reward is not this disconnected thing that it's like, oh hey, thanks for doing that. Now here's this strange thing that you'll have no idea what to do with. No, no. Proper reward is this consummation of the activity that you did to earn the reward. There's a natural connection. So when it comes to these things that Jesus is talking about here, spiritual disciplines, right? Giving to the poor, helping somebody who's in need, right? Praying, fasting. There is a reward that comes with those. But it's not gonna be this disconnected, like, like every every time you pray, you don't, I don't think it's like you know, you just get another gold coin thrown in your pile, your coffers in heaven, and, you know, like Scrooge McDuck just swimming in that pile of money, and some of us are going to be like, well, I got a jar. Like, you know, it's not like that. What's the reward of these things? It's the consummation of these activities. What does it mean? When you're giving, right, whenever you show up to meet a need for the poor, and we should do that. Again, he says when, but we actually find joy in meeting that need. The reward is that, that, hey, there was a person who was hungry and I was able to help them. And guess what? They're not hungry anymore. And when you're walking with God and you're not worried about other people, you're simply able to just enjoy the fact that there was a person in need and they're no longer in need. And that is a reward in and of itself. Right? When somebody's cold and they're, they're sleeping outside and you're able to get them in a shelter, you're able to get them a blanket, right? There's a, there's a genuineness to our hearts. I think it's maybe easier to look at it this way and then roll it back to giving. But if you're a parent, then you're familiar with this idea, right? Uh, because here's the deal. You're not thinking all the time about the rewards whenever you're, you're parenting. You're just doing what you got to do. You got to feed the little gremlins. You got to clean up their messes, right? You got to bathe them. You got to wash their clothes. You got to get up in the night with them. You got to you got to take care of them whenever they're sick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's exhausting. But then you know, you know, if you've been a parent, you know that there's those moments that just kind of catch you off guard. And you're like, oh my gosh, those are my kids. I took a picture this week. It's not going to make a lot of sense to y'all because it just looks like chaos, and it is. But I just had one of those moments this week. There's five kids in there. I don't know if you can see the one on the trampoline has no pants on. There's a gymnastics bar in our room. There's a dog. Like it's, and I just found myself just caught off guard. Like, man, those are my kids. I was there. My wife was working. I was like, I was just kind of like, oh, man. It might have something to do with it. It's 6 o'clock. That means I survived dinner and bedtime is near. It's <laughs> probably why I was feeling it. But it's this moment of like, oh, that's it. Those are my babies. Right? Everything I'm doing for them, I wasn't doing it so I could get, like, no, it just, it's just them. Like, that's the reward, right? Just that moment. Some of y'all, it's only when they go to bed. I get it. I've been there. It's only when you put them asleep and you're like, oh, I love them. Right? <laughs> I love them. They're so wonderful. They wake up and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> go back to sleep. Right? So, 
but, but you, you're familiar with that moment. Like the reward is just that you got to participate in the deal, right? It's the culmination of like, oh, I've done all these things to raise these little, these little babies. And like, they're, they're growing up. They're becoming people. They're, 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 they're learning things, right? My, my boys are starting to pee in a potty. It's awesome. Less diapers in my house, right? They're learning stuff. They're growing up. It's good. And that's the reward. So when we give, we help somebody. The reward is just what, that you helped somebody, right? Like, and it, it terminates right there. It's, it's this consummation. Same thing with prayer. Okay, so Jesus is going to say, hey, when you pray, don't go out and make sure everybody knows, but, but shut the door, go into your room and shut the door. It's just an idea of a prayer closet. Anybody grow up with a grandma or somebody that had a prayer closet, like an actual one? Like, the idea is you got a spot where you're going to pray, and it's not about other people knowing that you're praying. It's just about you praying. What are you doing? You're, you're talking to God. He says, go, like, don't go out and do it in a way that everybody notices. If you do that, that's all you're getting. But if you'll come into the secret and you'll be praying and engaging with God, you're going to get a reward far beyond what anybody that just noticed you is going to give you. The, the Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. What, what is this like? Well, prayer should be about communion with God, right? It's, about, it's not about people seeing you talk to God. That's the wrong motive. But it's about talking to God. Okay, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer next week. We'll dive into the, like, what is prayer and how do, how do we, but just right now he's talking about the hypocrisy of it doing it publicly to get recognized. So it's, it's supposed to be about communion with God, not about people seeing you talk to God, right? It's about actually talking to God. I was thinking about this. Uh, I grew up, I grew up with, a, with a guy named Mike. He was a freak athlete, and he ended up being uh, drafted right out of high school to play baseball. And, and it was so cool to be like from Pope County, little bitty school, uh, and to have a bunch of scouts at all of our baseball games. Like, there were, like there's more people here right now than at most of our baseball games, but then they started showing up to be scouts. And, and it was really cool to like be around him and like, and you know what, and I always knew Mike and I loved him and I, and I still do, but it shifted whenever it became this community wide buzz because now everybody's hearing about him, right? He's making the news, he's getting these offers. So now I'm tempted when people start talking about him out in public, I want to make sure they know I know him. You know what I'm saying? I want to, oh yeah, yeah, I know him. I, you know, I grew up with him. I used to wrestle with him, right? I, I've seen him be a, you know, I knew him before he was a big stud. He was a goofy kid, right? Like, you start to want to identify yourself with him. Why? Okay, now I'm no longer valuing my relationship with Mike just because I love Mike. Now I'm valuing my relationship with Mike because what it can get me with other people. That's a twisted motive, right? So when we're talking to God, it's not, it, it should, like, when I'm talking to Mike, it should just be about hanging out with Mike. If I'm just talking to Mike so that I can tell you all I talked to Mike, that's a twisted motive, when we're talking to God, it should just be about talking to God. That's the reward. Okay, fasting, we're going to go on to that. He says, hey, when you fast, don't, don't, don't make it obvious. Some of you are like, well, I don't even know what fast, if you're here, you don't know what fast, like fasting, if you don't know what fasting is, my wife tells me I don't finish my thoughts all the time. I talk really fast, I'm so sorry. Um, if you're here, you don't know what fasting is, it's this, like, it's this discipline that we do as Christians, we're invited to do and commanded to do even, to, hey, deny ourselves the most natural craving from our body, and instead direct that energy that we would normally use craving met, we're gonna direct that at doing God. Okay, so you stop eating for a day or two or a few hours, you skip lunch or whatever, and instead of doing what you would normally do to eat, fill that craving, you're gonna spend time with God. Okay, so that's the idea. So he says, when you do that, they would do this, you know, for days. So, don't, like, some people are going to do that. They'll be like, first day, they're not going to put any makeup on. They're going to shower. It's going to be all like, just want to make sure. You, you just want somebody to ask you. You ever been around these people? 
They clearly just want somebody to ask them what's wrong. And you're like, I don't even care what's like, oh. And you're like, oh, and they're just like loud sighing. You're like, why don't come? You work, anybody work with somebody like that? You're like, can you shut up, man? Just saying, some people just do that about fasting, right? They'll make their face look rough. And why? They want somebody to ask them, what, what, hey, are you okay? You okay? You look a little rough. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just a little hungry. Like, oh, you want some breakfast? I got some, I got, you want me to share my lunch with you? No, no, I'm fasting. I can't, right? They just want you to ask. She just says, don't do that. That, that. You've missed the whole point. If you're fasting so that other people will notice you, stop it. All you're doing is annoying everybody and denying yourself some diet, which isn't going to have a dietary effect because you'll probably just gorge yourself later. So just stop. You want to fast to get close to God, fast to get close to God, and make sure you clean yourself up, put your makeup on, like dress just like you normally would so that nobody's going to notice it. You're not trying to draw attention to yourself. Okay? I, I don't know, I, didn't, I struggled to kind of find a parallel with that, but I think it, it can be kind of like dieting, right? So maybe you've been told, like maybe you realize, oh, the way I'm eating is not good for my long-term health. The stuff I'm putting in my body is not good. So you stop eating that sugar, you stop eating that process, whatever, right? And, and maybe it doesn't have super clear, obvious physical effects. Like maybe you don't start losing weight and people don't start noticing. But is it still worth it? Yeah, because you know you're actually healthier inside, right? You know you've stopped, which is part of, like fasting is a tool that we can employ to fight sin. We, we, we push our flesh down and say, no, I want more holiness. I want more of you, Jesus. So when we're fighting sin, it might not be super obvious to everybody that you looked at porn less or that your greed and your pride level are, are being decreased because of the fasting that you're doing. But you know what? It's still worth it because that thing that can kill you, that was Jesus' point before. You let anger flourish in your heart. You let pride flourish in your heart. You let lust flourish in your heart. It's going to lead to death. So it's still a good thing to get rid of those things, right? So that's your reward. Like, you're working toward holiness. And all of these things is working toward an ultimate reward. As we give to the, to the poor, as we pray, as we fast, all of that is going to be consummated and culminated one day in heaven. We're going to get to heaven, and this is going to be part of the reward. We're going to see, oh my gosh, that's what God has been doing. All of our efforts, all, like when you gave to that person on the side of the road that had a, had a, had a cardboard, God has a part, like, he has a story for that. The guy with the cardboard sign, you just gave him five bucks. He has a story for that. And one day in heaven, you're going to be like, oh, that's what God was doing with that guy. When you help that person get a house, when you help that person get a car, when you spent time with them, when you just said hi, whenever you gave over some money, like it's all going to be connected in this moment of, oh my gosh, that's what God was doing. And your life is going to have so much more meaning and purpose. And it's not more piles of coins to Scrooge McDuck swim in. It's more rejoicing in what God has done in his kingdom. Does that make a little bit of sense? I know it's hard. It can be a little bit hard to wrap our minds around that. But that's the invitation. That's the reward. He's saying, if you're doing it just to get noticed by people, stop. Because that's as far as it's going to go. If you're doing it because that's who God has made you to be, you're going to have this reward that... Even in the moment, you're just going to feel good because you got to do what God has asked you to do. You got to talk to God. You got to fight sin with God. It's awesome. But one day, it's all going to culminate and consummate in this beautiful realization of what God has been doing when he brings his kingdom to bear on this earth. Amen? It's going to be good news, church. So we get, to, we get to work toward that. Paul talks about, hey, we're all building into this building, and some people, their efforts this is 1 Corinthians, I think, 3 or 4. Some people, their efforts are just going to be burnt up because they've not been investing in eternal things. 
So when eternity comes, it's just going to be like, oh, well, I wasted my life, right? But other people, when we're investing in eternity, we're going to see, oh, that, that thing I've been working on on earth, that thing I've been giving my life to, it's still present, and it's, and it's been breathed on by the living breath of God and turned into this beautiful thing that I could have never dreamed, but God is participating or allowing us to participate in this work. So this idea of hypocrisy is not just about adding another weight on you. It's not just about, okay, not just, you got to do these things, but you also got to worry why you're doing them. No, it's this invitation to, to receive a true reward. It's an invitation to be a whole person. What do I mean by that? It's this invitation to not have these divisions of like, well, I got to do this here and feel this there, and I, I got to try to be a better person. No, it's this invitation to, to, to be set free. It's an invitation to to, to stop being religious. It's an invitation to stop just trying so hard and instead to receive the good news of the gospel, right? Because when we're looking to other people to validate us, it's an exhausting process that is never ending and it's never enough. So, how do we, how do we receive that? How are we rescued from hypocrisy? Well, First, we've got to admit what's in us, right? We've got, we got, like, we got to allow ourselves to take an honest inward look. Remember, Jesus doesn't just care about what we do, but why we want to do it. And what that means is he wants to transform us from the inside out, right? So in order to experience that, that, that freedom, you have to start by being honest about what's inside. Admit that you're struggling with anger. Admit that you're struggling with people's perception of you, that you're just doing, like you've got to admit those things to yourself and to God so that like he can get in there and redeem that. You've got to admit that you're seeking approval from men instead of God. I want to end by looking at Hebrews chapter four, verse 13. And, and this is a, an incredibly sobering passage. It's the, on the, the tail end of a passage you've probably heard quoted a lot about the word of God being living and, act, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces the division of soul and, and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, that was a lot and I didn't have it on the screen. I got the next verse. But what that's saying is that this, this word of God, this Bible is, is not just a book. It's living and active. And as it's preached, as it's read, as it's heard, it gets inside of us and it separates our motives it separates our thoughts. It gets down deep into us. And verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him, of him to whom we must give account. What's that saying? Listen, you're going to be judged one day. You're going to stand before God, and the fig leaves that you put on to fool other people are going to be stripped away. The fronts, the, the narratives, the whatever you put on to fool other people, you're not going to have them. It'll be laid bare, naked, it says, exposed in the eyes of him, to him who we're going to give account. We've got to let ourselves feel that. But, but, but it doesn't end there, right? right? Because as, as we hear that, we're taken back, like there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah 6 that we reference all the time because it's so mind-blowing where he's taken into the throne room of God. And in that moment, he realizes, oh, I don't have any business to be here. I'm going to die because he's holy in a way that I can't even articulate. And I'm terrified and I'm going to die because I'm not holy. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm from a people of unclean lips. Ain't nobody going to get from where I was on earth into this place and not be crushed by his holiness. 
Isaiah 6, and, and he's crying out, and he just bows down, and he knows he doesn't belong there. But the good news is, is that God knows that, and he meets him there in his humility. He meets him there in his repentance, and he provides an angel, a seraphim, to come over and bring the coal and touch his lips and, and purify him. What, that, that's a story that I wish I had more time to tell. But let's just keep reading in this passage here from Hebrews chapter 4. I don't have this on the screen. If you want to turn there with me, this is just the rest of that passage after verse 13. It says, we're going to give an account to that God one day, but verse 14 says, since then we have, uh, since we have such a great high priest, what does that mean? That's somebody who's going to stand in the gap. When you're standing there bare before God and you have no explanation for, for who you are, you have no way of offering anything to him that's going to matter, you have somebody to advocate for you. You have somebody that's going to stand in the gap as a, as a high priest between you and God, and his name is Jesus. And he's not just a guy who's removed, who's called in to be a universal public defender on your behalf. No, this is a high priest who's done everything and, and walked in life the way that you and I have, have walked, and he struggled. It says he's passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. That's whom we've gathered to celebrate today. It says, let us hold fast to our confession because of him. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does that mean? Jesus understands why you're tempted to be a hypocrite. He understands the tension and the pull to, to please people, to not be humiliated, to, make sure, to not be honest. He understands he's been there, and yet he conquered it. He was without sin. So what do we do? We put our head down and walk away, hope we can be better and get like Jesus someday. No, no, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that what? We can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What does that mean? It says, if you're here and you know that the person that you want to be, the person you have said you are, doesn't line up with how you actually live, the invitation is not to walk away and figure it out and come back when you get better. That's religion. The invitation is to come to the throne. <laughs> See that? It says, let us draw near. Let us draw near to the throne of what? Of grace. Does it have to be a throne of grace? No, it could have been a throne of wrath. But Jesus took care of that on the cross, and now it's a throne of grace. And he invites us to come so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. That is the good news of the gospel. Yeah, there's hypocrites. People have done things in the name of Jesus that are unexplainable. You've seen it. Maybe, maybe you have been pretending and the substance has never been there. The point is for you, not you to leave today with your head hung low and hope you can do better this week. The point is to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let him make you a whole person. Let him forgive you of your sins. Let him transform you from the inside out. Take out your old heart. Put in a new one. That's the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount is that we have redemption now. The kingdom is here. Come receive. Come receive Jesus. That's the good news. You're like, man, I don't know. I can't be that. Like, yeah, you can't. But come to Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us, as always, to be aligned with your spirit in this moment, that we wouldn't check out too soon, that we wouldn't start thinking about other things too soon, but that we would set and let your word read us. Let your word uncover our hypocrisy and invite us into repentance and to healing and to wholeness. Father, for people that are here and they've never met you, they've never encountered and experienced and, and surrendered to the transforming work of Jesus our Savior, may you overwhelm them this morning with your grace.
May we see people come to your throne and receive mercy and be transformed by your grace this morning. For those of us that have been there, may we not take it for granted. May we not get over and just shrug at your grace. May we be renewed in a, in a fresh and powerful way that, man, this we didn't deserve this. And yet you have graciously given it. As we come, Lord, work in our midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen.